When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning to you, Redmond. Good morning, Patrick, and I'm going to knock the top of the show off. Well, I thought you were just going to go straight into the fact that you are now a trout fisherman. No, well, that's where per- I was going, but I wasn't going to go with that positive... Uh, You've purchased yourself a new Range Rover. Yeah, told you during the week, some new Ray-Bans. Uh, at- Oh, sorry, not necessarily a Range Rover. In the market for any European car. That looks stupid. <laughs> How did you go? Tinted you, windows. Tinted, absolutely. Um, yep. All-wheel drive. It needs has to, to be all-wheel just to get over those hills. Does it, get... does it need to say four-wheel drive? All-wheel drive's nice. And at least sort of 19-inch rims. What shoes do I wear? With a boat, bo- boaters. Boaters. Yeah, yep. yeah. And it has to be collared shirt, doesn't it? Actually, they don't have to be. You can wear RMs. That's fine. But Trout mate, fishing's not my thing. How I, did, I, I'm happy with my Nike shoes at the moment. When I, so you went up to Purrumbeet? No, I went to Lake Bull and Mary. Bull and Mary. So yes. uh, Purrumbeet, okay, I went trout fishing with Lee Rayner. I am not a trout expert. Never have been, never claimed to be. Don't plan to be. But <laughs> I went trout fishing with Lee. And Lee's a, uh, Lee and I do a fair bit of fishing together. And unfortunately, both enjoy our company, as you probably noticed over the years. Host of Fishing Edge, of course, Lee Rayner. Yeah, and he's a... Uh, he was kind enough to take me down in his little 480 Crossfire, which looks amazing. Has everything on it. Stupid boat. Has everything on it. What What would that <laughs> retail for? Do you think sixty? No, no, no. I'm going to say between seventy and eighty grand. Oh. Only Only reason I'm saying that is because he said that it probably would owe him seventy or eighty grand. It's a lot of money. It's he has good. everything on it, but he's got two two twelve inch Simrads on it. See, my thing on this right is. I don't – yes, it's a lot of money, and I know people are going to go berserk, but because it's so usable, use it all, he uses that thing all the time. I would argue that's better value than spending 200 grand on a trailer boat that you use six times a year. We're on one side of the lake, Pat, whatever it's called, dam. I think it was a lake, <laughs> Lake Bull and Mary. We're on one side, and the wind was blowing about 25 knots, and Lee went real fast. And I got real scared. He's <laughs> standing in that thing with his wind coming. I'm holding on, going, slow down, Lee. How, how quick does it go? <laughs> My eyes are watering, but I don't know if that was from the <laughs> rain, cold, or what it was. It's, but- act- it's actually not a bad time to fish Bull and Mary because the challenge with Bull and Mary is when the weather's good, it gets packed. And because there's a lot of... Oh, yeah, real packed. I was actually speaking to your mate, Gary Rowan, who's from that neck of the woods camper down, and he reckons as soon yeah, as the mate. weather gets good... Yeah, mate. Your yeah, mate. Your footy, yeah, mate. Yeah. I off the footy, mate. And he, uh, Gaz, I reckons it's literally just chaos in summer, like jet skis yeah. everywhere. And that's what makes Skiers. it really difficult to get good captures. But if you go when it's poor weather, like you did, yeah, you nailed it. So talk us through what you did 
to target the species of fish that you caught. Yeah, so we targeted trout. We stayed at Lake Bull- uh, Parham Beach, sorry, Caravan Park. It was great to stay there. They were uh, We got there real late and they were real accommodating. And they, they didn't actually see the people, but helped us out because, like I said, being there, I think we got there at like 10 o'clock because we put, I put the kids down and waited for Lee, left Melbourne by the time we finished work. And we uh, made our way down. I got to the cabins. I said, Lee, we want to rig up some rods. He goes, no, I'm done. Rig it up in the morning. I said, all right. He goes, you just got to tie some light leader on. Tying six pound light on is much harder than twenty pound, Pat. <laughs> Trying to do your little FG knots. Yes. Yeah, but uh, anyway, we started fishing and uh, we just mucking around as we were. We made it, did an Instagram story. We had a, we had a bit of fun taking the piss out of each other and basically started off with Lee said, "All right, we'll put the lures in and whatnot straight away at the boat ramp." And I'm thinking, what a waste of time. I'm not going to catch anything here. We've got to go somewhere secret. We literally put the first two or three uh, dive little divers out, and I, and I requested a Tassie Devil in the pink. And sure enough, Kano had got one straight away within the first 10 seconds, a nice uh, Chinook salmon. Kane the builder who doesn't build. Yep. <laughs> Kano dragged himself a nice salmon. I dragged myself then a nice Chinook salmon, and this has got real easy. I think we had about eight Chinooks in about 10 minutes. And then it got a little, that was early morning. And they were good size fish. Yeah, they were all up that 35 to 50 centimetres. Like how how far off the boat were you trawling the, the lure? I was running them way back. Like the, yep. And Lee said he ran... He ran all the other ones out the side way back, but one thing that Lee consistently used was was two downriggers. Yep. So he ran his two downriggers the whole time and ran the bait, and all he was doing was constantly winding them up, winding them down. And the, he's marking fish and using the downrigger to bring them up and bring it down to him. So you're, he's marking fish. Yep. You can see what level, how many metres they are below the surface. Yep. And, and the information you get from that, that's when you then... Rig you down, rig yeah, he was dropping it down and free spooling the line and bringing it up and whatnot to the fish, trying to stir them up. Yep. So really working it. He was working it flat out the whole time, and I was just standing there freezing watching him. But he was working literally flat out. He had the electric motor going, not using the main motor. Yep. I think that was pretty crucial. But in the end, the wind was that strong. When we're going into it, we actually had to use the main engine. We're in a cyclone. But it was that windy. But anyway, we had a really good time. We caught a couple of big brown trout. I call them big. They were about two and a half kilos, so five pounds. We got to manage to get a few of those, which were good. They were brown trout. Uh, Paul Worsling was down there too. We had a great laugh with him as well. Paul managed to catch a big tiger trout, which they all thought was a brown, but it looked like a chinook. Yeah, yeah. These things are inbred, I tell you. I don't know. But if you, well, really, want to, if so, you yeah. really want to do enjoy trout fishing and you want to go catch these but you can't get to one of these lakes, just go to a pool, chuck a bag on and cast it out and then wind it back in because that's what it's like fighting them, Pat. I don't know where the excitement for trout is. Oh, boy. They, is that going to... Socials are going to light up now. It's going to light. I'm going to cop it from this. Uh, Aaron did something terrible <laughs> the other day on the show. I just couldn't believe it. Philip and I were sitting there watching and we, Re- we just couldn't believe it. Rex Hunt rang me after my Instagram, sto- to, uh, Instagram story saying... I said to Lee on the Instagram story, when you go on trout fishing next time, Lee, make sure you delete my number. And Rex got into me. He was not happy. You're dissing trout fishing. But uh, I'm with him. I tell you what, I had, hey. a, I had a blast. I actually had a really good time. But if you wanted to compare a fish fighting, I mean, but, seaweed pulls hard in tide. No, but I, to I, compare to but <laughs> trout. I, so I compare it, say, when you've, like, having fished New Zealand, yep. parts of Tassie on the fly... It's totally different. It's epic, and yep. it's 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 a different challenge, quite clearly. But each to their own. I think there'd be plenty of people that would say the same thing about whiting. Oh, Aaron, every time whiting is easiest thing to really a fifty centimeter 
uh, Whiting will pull a metre trout backwards, I reckon. Actually, the Speaking whip, of those, the whip, <laughs> the whip around a little later in there's the a, show. There's a few big Whiting. There has been some absolute stonkers. What do you want to do now, Patrick? We've got a bit to discuss. Would you like to go into a bit of new boat or would you like to go into a little kingfish program in New South Wales? Now, let's go into the kingfish program right because on. I think this one's a really good one. We'll, we'll, we'll finish off on a bit of... Uh, a bit of news around Quintrex Tellwater and where they're going globally news. in the in the Australian market. Yep, and, and global market. But this uh, project Kingfish is a is it a ripper? It is a uh, project King Project Kingfish. You can follow them on Instagram, and they are, are basically encouraging all anglers month of August September basically to catch and release tag as many kingfish as they possibly can. It's just going to help with data to the DPI in New South Wales future future kingfish stocks, where their movements are, etc. Now, just to give you an example of some of the information, there was two done in previous years in the month of August. Uh, one kingfish showed at 257 days at Liberty, it travelled only 10 kilometres, Pat. It was first released, well, caught and released on the 12-mile reef, reef off Burmy, 88 centimetres. It was recaptured inshore at a place called The Peak, so only 10 kilometres in, and it had grown only seven centimeters in 257. Well, not only grown 200, uh, seven centimeters in 257 days. It was to 90, 95 centimeters. Yep. The second kingfish was uh, caught and released at Mawari Point, so that's just south of Eden, and it was 48 centimeters long in 2006. 1,131 days later, it was uh, then recaught 820 kilometers north at Lamont Reef in Queensland. And there was no measurement for this fish, unfortunately, but that was taken in 2009. So, like, things like that's pretty cool. They can see where they move and whatnot. So the more we catch and tag, the better it's going to be for our future. Yeah. So if you want to join in, you can follow them on Instagram on Project Kingfish. And I thought that was just pretty cool little thing coming out of New South Wales that they're running at the moment. certainly is. Now, uh, Quintrex's new Rotax outboard engine, the details are still sparse. But what we will get is something vastly different in terms of outboard manufacturing. Now, we've seen over the last few years that Tellwater was purchased by BRP. BRP produced Sea-Doo. They used to produce Evinrude E-Tech, and as we all know, they discontinued Evinrude E-Tech. It was a really interesting move at the time, Redmond, because we'd spoken so much about how they'd invested in their technology Quite clearly now, we know the reason behind the fact that they have no longer gone down the Evinrude E-Tech path, and that is this new generation of low-profile outboard engines. So this will be, I think, exclusively to the, well, it's not called Quintrex um, in the States. I think it's uh, Alumacraft. Uh, but in Australia, there will be options other than just you don't have to, yeah, outboards. You don't have to have that specific engine if you wish not to. But it is when we talk about low profile and looking vastly different to any other outboard on the market, in the market, this is this is very, very different. Your initial thoughts having seen this, the rigging looks very, very different. It's a weird looking engine. First first of all, looking at it, it looks very strange. Well, it, it almost goes back to the 80s. There were sort of different... I, I think it was Evanry back in the day. It might have been Johnson that had gone through a... It was almost a pod-mounted uh, engine outboard. That's a good way to explain this. But So that was back in... I reckon it was the 80s. I can't remember exactly. But 
they tried it, it didn't exactly work. It was essentially, rather than manufacturers building pods and those sorts of things, this thing could literally be bolted on the back yeah. of you know what would have been a Bertram 25 and bang, away you go. These, these are very, very different. They're talking about how there will be uh, far more room in terms of the actual boat design because Tellwater produced these boats. They're going to be built for them specifically. The engine itself is based on Evinrude E-Tech's two-stroke technology. And they're talking about a five-year maintenance-free schedule, which is the same as the G2 E-Tech's when you know, that was in production Redmond, saying maintenance costs should be lower. Whether they are, we'll wait and see. And they're claiming a stealth technology, which mm. we don't exactly know what it means, but they're talking about it. Extremely quiet, they're saying. It's going to be near yeah. to no noise. Does it interest you? Like they're, they're very, very different. I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I'll be interested to see how the Australian market uptake, uh, you know, is interested in this sort of technology. I, it depends on what range they're going to make these come out on. Like I know they're saying Quint- Quintrex a massive brand huge in itself so they can't just say Quintrex because because so Tellwater for those uh, unaware produces a Stacer Quintrex Savage a whole raft of different aluminium manufactured boats here in Australia so a a, a huge range it's all good to have inboard and these are inboards the way I'm reading it are you reading it as if it's the same well not necessarily inboards they're saying um, well 115 to 150 horsepower Rotax engines is what they've talked about initially we don't know a huge amount more than that. Well, the way that I'm They've looking at it, their videos. Well, the way that I'm looking at it here is, Quintrex is probably one of the most sought after boats, absolutely, around our country of Australia. You got from Queensland right down to us. If you start putting these boats in, where is it going to affect any, I guess, space in the rear end of the boat? Well, they're like, saying it's going to be better because well, that's what they're saying. They've, they've spoken about that. It's going to be uh, on their bow rider models, the Freestyler X. I can see it with working only with Rotex. With I can see it working though in a bow rider because you're there for a purpose. You're not fishing out of that part of the boat. I agree. But if you're going to be standing down the back, how much is it going to come into into the hull as such? Well, they're saying it's more efficient. Well, we we see all have, how it goes. Yeah, yeah. It's just a discussion point. So just Absolutely. see how it, just see how it goes with. It's and it's a really interesting. It one. doesn't look like it's going to take up room, but I just can't see. I can't see any angles where it's showing the inside of the hull. I can yeah. only see the outside, and it looks practical. The, the interesting player here is Yamaha, who have for so long been one of the market leaders, who we haven't seen a real advanced technology update around their marine propulsion. Now, we've seen it from Mercury, who have really invested you know, extremely heavily over the past three years. We're now seeing it with Evinrude and Rotex, or BRP. We saw them discontinue Evinrude to obviously go down this path. I just wonder what Yamaha have that they potentially may release. Store next, yeah. Yeah, because when they released the 425, it wasn't like it was was extremely heavy. You know I've seen a 326, I think, the other day, Yamaha? Really? 326R, yeah, on the back of a boat. I thought he even put his own stickers on it. Probably. No, he hadn't. I'd spoke to him. It was their model that came out. So it was pretty... Like they've done definitely a, a wide range of different engines, Yamaha, so they'll be up to this. But like even the with the technology, with what Mercury's done around their 600 horsepower, how the cowling doesn't move, like you get it with the drive shaft, but the rest doesn't. Like, like I'd, yeah, I'm interested to see with where they go. 
they're, they're one of the biggest manufacturers in the world. They will have something. When will we see it? I would say potentially the Melbourne Boat Show. It's probably a little bit too close for that. Speaking of, um, yep. more information has been released. Just quickly, then about to wrap up, but Melbourne Boat Show is basically all the information's out to the public now. It's going to be guaranteed outdoors. The tickets are about to be released, but good news is, Pat, they're going to be free. But you so still no, have to register. You still you? have to pre-book. You still have to get your place there to keep an eye on numbers and whatnot. But you have to pre-book, but you do not have to pay any money to go to the boat show, which is a great initiative from the government who's going to be supporting this, I'm tipping. Uh, it's just going to allow big boats to rock up and do their thing on the water, but it's also going to encourage people to actually go on the water on these vessels that are going to be available for people like you and myself to go to go test out. And good news is they're expecting over 100 exhibitors uh, to be at this boat show too. So everything's looking positive for the Melbourne Boat Show. The only thing I'm worried about is that thing called the sun. We don't see a lot of it here at the moment, Pat. <laughs> We've still got a couple months to wait. Massive show of real adventures heading your way this morning. There's been some huge captures right around Australia, some 60-plus centimetre whiting, some huge barrels and some great uh, trout out of Tasmania. We'll follow that up uh, after the break. This is Real Adventures. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It is time for the whip around. All thanks to Jayco Sydney, your next adventure. Let it begin with Jayco Sydney. Where are we kicking things off, Redmond? Because there's been some big squid being caught right throughout Victoria. It is. We're sticking in my neck of the woods at the minute, Pat. Port Phillip Bay, bottom end, uh, so right down the heads area where we see these real big squids spawn. They're starting to make their way in in really big numbers. We spoke about it last week, and on that moon, that new moon period that just went by, beautiful weather. We had that hot Victorian 18 degrees, but we had that and the squid. It was a nice day. It was beautiful on Saturday, and the Friday, Saturday into the Sunday was okay as well. So it was uh, plenty of big squid got caught. few squid in Western Port too, some big ones, but there have been a few early season snapper being caught in Western Port. We're going to see them get thicker and thicker, as we approach is there, that is September. there a plan in in trying to target early season snapper? Like, what what are you giving yourself your best chance if you want to target them? You want to get the warmer, shallow water? Yeah, you want or? shallow warm water. Yep. You want shallow warm waters where you're going to target them. Ideally, so in Port Phillip, places like Clifton Springs, even up the shallows right at the top end of the bay, into Cario Bay, and in Western Port, right at the top in those arms there, you see exactly where you're going to find those big snapper. Sitting on the hot mud that heats up, and that's where you're going to catch them. So are you looking at your sounder and looking for, what what what, what temperature are we targeting? The warmest you can find. Yeah. It's just going to depend with rain. It's going to depend on everything. So Western Port will get hotter much quicker than anywhere else. Uh, I reckon we just... Western Port only needs a few days, and it will it'll change rapidly. Yeah. When I say a few days, if we get three or four days of 22, 23-degree weather, it'll change quite quick. And we're only like a few weeks or probably a month off Away those days that. coming yep. of happening. So... It's it's going to happen in this this month. You're going to see consistent consistent captures of those snapper in Western Port. Uh, Portland tuna spoke about how stupid they were going. They slowed up on that new moon as they do. They slowed up, but I think the fact that calm water and fifty thousand boats were down there, yeah, uh, that plays a mass. There was fish caught, but there was a lot of fish that weren't caught. Yes, so a lot of boats went without. So fished okay-ish, good, maybe worth going in a way, but. I would have had. Well, I, but it, I, but I it's not gone. a bullseye guaranteeing catch every time you go. No, there. they weren't jumping in the boat like I've been speaking about the last few weeks. But it was always going to be like that. 
dead calm weather, boat traffic, etc. And and coming off the back of the bite that's been there, there was always going to be traffic, and it just doesn't help with the fishing. Doesn't yeah. matter if it's trout like you discussed earlier in the show, or if it's those barrel bluefin. Heading further north, New South Wales, Batemans Bay is the place to go for yellowfin tuna. Big ones too. 60, 70, 80 kilo ones being caught on the trawl and casting, both working well. But at re- last week I said there was a few there. This week it's just gone nuts. So Batesman's fished really, really, really good. And if you head into Botany Bay Park, plastics, micro jigs, great, great fun, active fishing, trevally. There's been a lot of juvenile mulloway caught and salmon and flathead too, so mixed bag right through Botany Bay. Heading further north, Queensland, uh, there's been some thumping coral trout out of Bundaberg uh, and a lot of the reefs are producing good fish, Redmond. Yeah, they are. And Bundy, I'm actually not far from where I am heading uh, in a few days, Patrick, just north of Noosa there, so I might have to head up to Bundy there. But there's uh, been really good redfish, so red emperor, coral trout, you name it, being caught down there. WA... Departing from um, so departing from uh, sardine jetty in Frio, the Highland Spirits boat has been getting some great snapper and amberjack, which is always exciting because the snapper just haven't stopped out of Frio. Pat Jazz Charters have been doing really, really good too, and a bit of land-based stuff on the ocean side of Margaret River. Just got to watch out for great whites, <laughs> but uh, the fishing's been sensational with herring, Taylor, salmon. Big brim being caught out of the river. Prawns have been great, but also if you want to actively fish, little metals and uh, plastics will work really, really well too. Heading to your... Ma- op- Mackerel Islands as well. Scotty Coggins is returning from there. It's fishing really well. He's uh, caught everything under the sun there. Heading to your old neck of the woods, Pat. South Oz. Yeah, squid fishing land-based off Wallaroo and the rocks around there uh, has been really good with bag limit captures on offer, uh, which is great to see some really good-sized squid. Uh Using a float red. Yeah, so if you're fishing rocks and whatnot, it's very hard to keep your jig in the right water column because they come up and down and down and up. This is a so, good tip. I like this. So basically, I just if you're running it, I always like to cast one if you're land-based. Yep. But you'll see a lot of the old-school guys fishing off piers under floats. They catch squid. So if you can get one out on a float and sink it out and have one weighted up a bit higher and actually work your jig around that float. You talk about... Often, the most important thing with a squid jig is yep. the weight. How do you get it to drop? Well, it won't. It's it's, yep. it's suspended on a on a on a float, yep. and the squid will take it. Not as obviously the drops the most is very important, makes the difference. But what I mean by that is it'll track squid to it, and you can work your squid jig around it. And if you get one on your jig and you're near the float, you can nearly guarantee that float's going to go too. Because once you get one squid. Quite often, you're going to get two squid. So that works really well. Uh, Warren Reservoir fished very, very good for the redfin silver perch. The odd big cod. When I say big, meteries come out of there too. And, of course, uh, my favourite freshwater fish, the carp. Keeping uh, <laughs> keeping you busy in between fishing too. So there's plenty going on in Warren Reservoir too if you're uh, wanting to head a little bit inland and get away from the salt for a little bit. Tassie's our last one, Pat. Hasn't it lit up? This week on social media, it has, and I know you're going to start at St Patrick's River, but there's been ah sorry the Derwent, um, but there's been so many decent captures of really big uh, brown trout. Derwent is one for it. So yeah. like you said, massive brown trout coming out of there, like three to four kilo stuff, six to eight pound, I think you call it in the trout scale. The hard bodies have been working the best. Yeah, slow trawling, same as the same techniques that Lee Rayner and I used. Yeah. It was actually downrigging, and you can also have them on, not on the downrigger too, working really well. Low light, late light has been sort of the, the best. Low light, sorry, so late in the morning. Uh, early in the morning, late in the afternoon, that was yeah. really struggle to get out, and it shouldn't have been. Uh, downrigging's very good. Very yeah. good, just yeah. get, especially during the day. Yeah. So you're getting down to where they are because they tend to go slightly deeper as we 
as Lee showed me. But those brown, goldy-style divers, there's so many brands yeah. out there. Yeah. Uh, Spotted Dog one was one that we use that worked really well. Uh, so that worked really good too uh, in Tassie too was one of the reports I read as well. Uh, I want to talk about the big widening out of Tassie at the moment. My godfather, I couldn't believe the size. I think it was 67 centimetres one of them got caught, but they were bag limits of 60 centimetre fish. Now, I'm happy when I get 45s. These things are stupid. This is the size of your... And this is not saying much because your quads aren't exactly doing a huge amount after your um, health issues, but... It's, should, if could, it's a fish, it's a good size, not especially sure if, whiting. Not sure if you can even call them quads. I like to refer to them as femurs. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, the whiting are massive. Seriously, they're the biggest whiting in the world, I'm calling it. And wow. place to go, Tassie. Not just Patrick's River. There's plenty of places. Paul Worsling did a great episode down there, catching 60-centimeter whiting too uh, last year, which was a fantastic watch on iFish. Uh, it's just sensational. That wraps up the whip around. All thanks to Jayco Sydney. Let the adventure begin. Jayco Sydney helping you on your next great escapes. Now, Red, we've got one question because we're pretty much out of time. Social club. Oh. Um, Red, when fishing for trout at Bull and Mary last week, uh, the guys want to know about the ramp. Was it close Is to- it safe enough to launch with a really big boat? I think they've got they've said they've got a six and a half meter boat. Now Paul Worsling launched his six meter center console. It's not like any traditional ramp. You are launching a bit off the grass. So, so the ramp's closed at the moment gotcha. for upgrades. All right. It's only a few weeks, if not a week away from being finished. So once it's finished, it to me it didn't look Two weeks away, but on their social media, it said two weeks away, and that was a week ago. When was the last time you trusted a builder with how long something's going to take to build? Queenscliff was finally finished as of last week, and they said early August, and then it went to mid-August and late August. All I know is it's open now, and I've never <laughs> been more happy. But any builder, Kane, my good friend, Kane the Fisherman, I think you like to call him. Yes, he is. He's perfect, though, he reckons. He reckons he's always on time, Pat, but he's not. But uh, basically, Bull and Mary will be open soon, so that once the ramp's done, you can launch any, any boat, boat in there. Yeah. I'm going to call it a dam. That real but, at the, but at the moment? <laughs> at the moment, getting it off the, the grass, be very mindful. We yep. went on possibly the wettest day you could ever imagine. So we as had, tough as it gets. We had no dramas launching in there whatsoever, but you will struggle with a bigger boat. Like, I wouldn't be putting your boat in there at the minute. But once the ramp's done, you won't have dramas with your boat in there. It goes to 45, 50 metres deep in that thing. That's a big dam. It is. All right. That wraps the social club. After the break, Scotty Coglin from Western Angler Magazine. All aboard for Dometic. Make your next adventure effortless with the Dometic Go Collection. Just pack, stack, and go. It's time for All Aboard for Dometic. Go on your next adventure. Dometic.com. Our special guest this morning is Scotty Coglin from Western Angler Magazine. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, boys. Great to be back with you. It's been a little while. It has been, and you're just returning from a trip to the Mackerel Islands. That would have been ordinary, Pat. Terrible. Yeah. Oh, it was terrible. We had <laughs> two weeks of glamour, glamour weather, sitting on an island off the northwest or off the Pilbara coast of WA. It was horrible. So for those <laughs> for those not from Western Australia, talk to us about geographically where it is in relation to Perth, because it's one of Australia's. It's not an unkept secret, but it's pretty bloody good fishing. It is amazing. It's about, oh, what, to be 1,450 k's north of Perth by road, and then it's about 20 k's across in the boat. 
uh, to a place called Seven Art Island, um, which is part of the larger Mackerel Islands group that's called the Mackerel Islands. Um, and we stay there with a bunch of readers from the magazine and we had two weeks there. So we had two groups of readers. We had a group came in for a week. They moved on and another group came in for a week. So we had two weeks there and just amazing sort of blue water offshore fishing in that area, all the all the sort of stuff that people dream about, you know, for your bottom fishing, red emperor, gold band, snapper, rank and cod, which are very popular species over here, but then also your your sport fishing, which is what I really love about it. We had a lot of queen fish, golden trevally, giant trevally, uh, wahoo, and as the name would suggest, many, many, many Spanish mackerel. Well, that was going to be my question. I was going to say, I'm no expert, but uh, let me guess, you might have caught a mackerel or two. Yeah, they are um, like blowfish at the Mackerel Islands. Yeah, right. Uh, most of the areas you go, there's a lot of small islands as part of the group. They all, all those islands pretty much have a drop-off where it drops off from, you know, say six, seven metres to 15, and the mackerel just sit on those drop-offs. What, uh, um, what sort of fishing are you doing over there, Scotty? Like as in what style uh, we, of fishing? Well, what we did, I mean, which is just mine, what I like to do, all we did for two weeks was literally cast stick baits, poppers, casting minnows, a few metals, that sort of thing. That's all we did. But a lot of people will will go to spots, anchor and barely up for their bottom fish and even, you know, a lot of jigging. The only problem with, with jigging there is because there's a lot of mackerel around, you do get snipped off a lot. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, jigging would, can though. be productive but can be expensive. Scotty, you just want to – if you want to know what I did this week, I – Went to a place called Lake Bull and Mary. It was about minus five degrees, freezing cold, and I caught about a few small trout. I just thought I'd let him know, Paddy. Just thought I'd let him know if he was wondering. Uh, what? That, that's fine, Scott. Except Aaron described it as catching plastic bags. Exactly. Not a trout fisherman, Scotty. <laughs> Speaking of plastic bags, what gear did you use up there to catch the non-plastic bags? You would have need some serious gear to pull in those big fish. Uh, look, I was just running a little sort of seven foot. Um, uh, Rod Yamaga, it's actually Yamaga. I used that for probably 90% of my fishing for the week, and I had a Stella uh, 5000 on that with about 30 pound or, you know, 14 kilo braid. Yep. And for what I did, that was perfect. Uh, just a, a great casting outfit. And as I said, a range of, of different stick baits and small lures and, and just pretty much surface fish for the whole two weeks. I had these grand plans. I got a new Simrad sounder, so I was going to go out deep and chase all sorts of stuff, but it just never quite happened. There was so much going on. There was bust-ups everywhere and fish in the shallows. It was just too hard to turn my back on. I hope you had a time for a nice cold beer in that sunset. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had some amazing sunsets. As I said, <laughs> the weather was perfect. And we're at the Seven Art Island. You're on a cabin looking over the water. So you uh, you look out over the ocean back towards Onslow and we had probably, out of our 14 nights, we probably had about 10 that were just dead still. Mm. So you just sat there. And actually, the first half of the first week, we had a full moon rising up over the water in front of us. And it was like a stairway to the moon. So you could just sit there and look at that for an hour or two and sip a beer or a spirit or a cool drink or a water or whatever you wanted. It was just magnificent. God's country. Is this the best time to fish it, Scott? When would you, you know, from look, the recommendations, oh, what's the best time? I would say it would be this time of year. Look, we've been doing this trip for the magazine for about 15 years. And one of our riders uh, used to have a <laughs> Yeah, that's no, terrible thing to look forward to every year. And <laughs> one of our riders used to run a charter operation up there. And he likes this time of year. And in that whole time, 
Uh, so we always go August or early September. I could probably almost count on one hand the number of really bad days we've had. It just we seem to get a bit of a morning breeze. It drops out, and you you don't get out in the water till about ten thirty, which means the evening socialising is good, and then you have a late start, gentlemen's hours, and fish for the rest of the day. Nice water so fishing. And it, as I said, over fifteen years, it's been so consistent that we just wouldn't change the time of year. The other time is sort of April May. Earlier in the year, that's that's the other sort of peak time for getting that good weather there. So they'd be the two times I would recommend. We're chatting with Scott Coglin from Western Angler Magazine. For more information, westernangler.com.au. Uh, fishing nationally, um, unfortunately at the moment, Western Australia is on the map for all the wrong reasons, Scott. Let's talk about these potential changes to when you can and can't fish and the potential nine-month demersal fishing ban. Now, it makes sense, but rec fishers are up in arms about it. Where are you at with it, do you think? And obviously the more voices that get behind the feedback for Fisheries WA, it's going to be critical. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very big issue over here. And over the years, we've had a lot of things, marine parks and different things that have sort of galvanised people. A lot of people sort of say, oh, I'm not happy with this, I'm going to do something. And then they, the actual doing of something seems to be an issue. There's a lot of talk. But this one really does seem to have galvanised people. The, the fisheries minister has announced, yeah, it's either going to be an eight or nine month ban on demersal fishing, what is called the West Coast bioregion, which is Calbarry to Augusta, um, which is hugely significant for wreck fishing in WA. I would sort of the, the $2.4 billion that's estimated to be put into the economy each year by uh, wreck fishing, and probably a quarter of it at least comes from this fishery. Um, you know, 80% of the, the WA population lives in that area between Calbarry and Augusta. And as you know, boats, offshore fishing, jewfish are our iconic fish. Pink snapper fishing has just got more and more popular. So this has really created a huge reaction that the fisheries minister announced that uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was actually part of a working group through Wreckfish West, which is our peak body here in WA, that put forward some proposals, which largely got ignored seemingly. They didn't really seem to take that on board at all. Um, so he's come out with this, the, these eight or nine months down as part of trying to cut the take by 50%. And yeah, the public response since has been very, very strong. It's made mainstream media. There's a petition that was launched by a group called the West Australian Family Fishing Alliance, which is a lot of guys from the tackle industry that I know well, they launched a petition um, uh, during the week and within 24 hours had about 4,000 people had signed it and we're hoping to get that just get that to continue to get to over 10,000. It really has um, seemingly galvanised the fishing community. We're in phase two consultation now, which is DPIRD, which is our fisheries department, has put out a a survey where you can go through it and pick your options, but essentially they've just given you two options. They've said, would you prefer an eight-month ban or a nine-month ban, which is like saying, do you want to be shot or poisoned? (laughs) The end result is pretty much the same. And it's going to have a huge impact uh, economically and socially because we're talking about, you know, regional tourism. There are country towns north of Perth in particular that just rely on fishing tourism to keep them ticking over. And, you know, all the businesses, tackle shops, you know, food shops, uh, service stations, caravan parks, it, 
the impact of this is going to reach far and wide. And if it does come in, then, of course, it will spread further and reverberate across the state because you'll have people who can't fish in that area for eight or nine months will then move to another area to fish. So then you sort of the problem to another area. So this is a, a massive issue and one that's not going to go away anytime soon. We've seen this in South Australia when they introduced a yeah. five-year snapper ban. Does it beg the question, both Aaron and Scott, what have fisheries been doing if not for constantly reviewing the processes that they go through for, for all of a sudden to get to a stage where they suggest a, a nine-month ban? Well, surely that makes the job almost in, in well, that's, untenable because that's, you're not doing your job. That's 100%. my that's my question to Scott off the back of that. Now, you've seen uh, – sorry, uh, what's the what's the Dan Andrews over there? What's his name? <laughs> Mark McGonagall. That, that, you've seen that guy. Oh, he got Mark up on – yeah, there, that fella. He got up, on, so, uh, got up on, on stage and basically presented himself and said, quoted the words, there'll be no fish. That's what he said. Yeah. Now, he's got no experience in this. I'm, gar- I'm happy to say that. I don't even know that, but I know that he doesn't. Someone like yourself <laughs> that, that does, where's the evidence that they have? Because from what I'm reading and what has sort of pissed me off a bit was the, the research that the fisheries and whatnot have put into play is stating that it's actually the fishing itself that is still, fi- still sustainable and coming up. Yes, it's not going as fast as they wanted, but it's coming 100%. up. So wh- where's the argument coming to play off the back of your question? Where where do you read that? What's your opinion on that side of things? Well, it all comes from the harvest strategy, which was set, and there were some previous restrictions brought in 2010, and there was an arbitrary date set of 2030. So they said everything's got to be back to where we want it to be by 2030. But as you said, the, the data shows that it's recovering, both Jewfish and Pink Snapper, which are the main two. Yep. And... They're, you know, according to fisheries' own data, they're recovering. So it's not happening quite as quick as they want. But, again, that's that's just towards an arbitrary date. Uh, and then you've got the state of the fisheries report, which fisheries puts out each year, and it lists both jewfish and pink snapper stocks as sustainable. Then you get on, as you said, you turn on the TV and you see the fisheries minister say, these fish are going extinct. And you see Mark McGowan, the Premier, say, there'll be no fish left. And you go, well, hang on a minute. Where are you getting this information from? That's yeah. not what they're saying. They're saying that they want to accelerate the recovery, but they're not saying they're going backwards. So what do they do, Scott? So, what, what do they do then? So what 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 do you think they can do? To, do, do we because it is increasing? Do we sort of just go okay? We just deal with it. What it is, or do they have to put something in place? What what do you think? I think I think most people are comfortable with them doing something. Um, you know, whether it is just tweaking the bag limits and boat limits a bit. We. As I said, I was part of a, a committee that worked on some recommendations for them. There was about a dozen people on that. And one at the moment, we've got a two-month ban. And one of the things that was suggested was another two-month ban in February and March to protect jewfish when they're spawning. Mm. So that was an obvious thing we came up with that we thought would make a good difference. Um, we had to get it to – they wanted a 50% reduction, and that's what the harvest strategy says. So – we were working towards that, but the tricky thing was, of course, we were given no data on how much difference each suggestion we made would make. Mm. So it was hard to know if we were getting close to the 50%. And at the end of it, they just said, look, you didn't get to the 50%, so we've ignored it. Yeah, now, the other interesting thing is we wreck fishermen in WA only catch about 9% of the scale fish that are caught in WA. A lot of it is caught, the rest is caught commercially, and a lot of that's in the northwest. 
Now, the, the commercial fishery for these species is only 5% of what they take, so it's very, very small and limited. And I've had some good talks with Lecker about this, in uh, Mark Lecrae about this. It's a very small fishery, whereas our fishery for these species, we only take 9%, but 50% of that is species that come under this mm. demersal. So it's a uniquely important fishery. So to me... It seems to me that if you're looking to the best community use of the resource, so using it in a way that the most community benefit comes from it, then it seems to me that the commercial catch of these fish doesn't really stack up compared to the recreational. The recreational, as I said, is probably worth in the hundreds of millions, these these species as a fishery, whereas in the commercial sector, it's probably worth maybe 5 million tops. So when you look at it that way, I just think, well, why wouldn't we look at buying out the commercials, giving them, you know, not forcing them out, but saying, here, we're going to make you a generous offer. We will pay you to, to stop fishing those fish, leave them in the water. Yep. And and then it becomes basically a, a recreational-based fishery. Um, that's kind of one of the things I look at. I think the other thing to add to it is for the last three years, all these rural towns that rely so heavily on tourism have really struggled because of COVID, even though... Western yeah. Australia was backdated in the sense that it took a while um, and, it was, still and, and it was well managed, but all of a sudden now, you know, it, it's been a, a significant issue. This is a, a double whack on top of that if you're yeah, looking absolutely. to remove something that is just so critical to the, um, to the you know, remuneration of all these different rural towns that rely so heavily on tourism. So before we, before yeah, we wrap well, it up. I mean, there are places like Exmouth and Denham and Monkey Mire that have – Ecotourism as well, but then there are a lot of other towns in the Midwest, particularly you know, Cervantes, Lehman, Calberry, places like this that rely hugely on fishing-related tourism. It's it's the biggest thing for people visiting the towns. So basically, wreck anglers and yourself There's a lot are, are willing yeah. are willing to work with the government. And Absolutely. try and make something work, but just coming out and saying blah blah blah, stop it. It's not going to work. Anyway, that's enough of that. Yeah. But hopefully, over there, it can sort itself out relatively quick. Pat, it, it's got to be. It's people power, yeah. isn't it, Scott? Like it's got to. It people have to. They can't sit on their hands and then complain once a decision is made. It needs to be everyone coming together, um, working towards a resolution. Absolutely. And as I said, we've seen in the past people will often, particularly with social media, will talk and say, hey, I'm, I'm outraged. I'm going to fire up about this. But then when you push to do something, I, I remember we had a big uh, rally uh, in Perth about 10 years ago and Rex Hunt actually flew over for it and we promoted it widely and people said, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, 300 people turned up. Yep. And, yep. you know, it's, it's not good enough. If people want to have their say and want to make a difference, they've actually got to make the effort, you know, sign the petition, ring politicians, email politicians, and even go and see their local member and say, hey, I'm, I'm not putting up with this. Exactly right. Hey, before we let you go, what can we look forward to in next month's edition of Western Angler? Uh, the new one is actually out right now. I've just gone and picked it up from the printers yesterday on my way through. So uh, we've got a nice Dirk Hartog ball chin groper on the front uh, held by Tim Farnell. There's one of the tackle guys that's been very heavily involved with this issue we've just been talking about. So we've got a bit of stuff in there about Dirk Hartog, some stuff about tusk fish, um, quite a bit of freshwater stuff. There's a guy who's done a really nice article about uh, him and some mates 
knew a guy who had a, a rural property and they stocked his dam with trout. And over the subsequent years, have had a lot of fun around uh, stocking that dam each year and fishing it as a group and just a, a private put-and-take fishery that they've had a lot of fun with. But, yeah, we cover the whole state as ever, 116 pages. So, yeah, plenty there for everyone to read. Very good. Beautiful work. Scott Coglin from Western Angler. If you want more information on Western Angler magazine, westernangler.com.au. Scott Coglin from Western Angler. That is uh, all aboard for Dometic. Go on your next adventure. Dometic.com. Red's tip for Anaconda. Anaconda just got a whole lot bigger. Don't miss their Adventure HQ grand opening celebration. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for Red's tip. What do you have for us, Redmond? Wanting to know what you're fishing on, I guess, bottom-wise and structure-wise, one little tip I've got for you is utilise your GoPros. Now, Ooh, I like it's this. something yeah. that I actually do a hell of a, lot, hell of a lot of. Now, when I'm fishing the reef for gummies, I'm fortunate enough to be a diver, was a diver, till they put this ticking pacemaker thing in my chest. I'm not allowed to. So ex-diver, I should say. And basically, I know what's on the bottom visually. I can visualize when I sound stuff up to what it is. So I'm fortunate. 90% of fishermen don't do that. Yep. So basically, when you're fishing on a reef for gummy, if you're in 30 meters of water, you can get your GoPro cases that go up to 50, uh, 50 meters, 60 meters. Put it in a case. I've got a, stay, a steel little trap made up that you can put bait in and you can actually put the GoPro on it and on drop it down. It's weighted quite heavy and it sits on the bottom perfectly. And you can actually see exactly, not only the fish and everything is down there, but you can see the bottom that you're actually fishing on. Yep. You can get an idea of if you're on heavier sand, more sand, reef, whatnot. There helps with snapper fishing in the ocean because you want to get off that reef a fair bit. For me, that's what I like to do. Gummies, I want to be on the reef and you can see what's going on down there. And the amount of stuff that I've seen down there and caught, well, you think you catch it because you see a gummy and you get one that day you can go back and watch the footage it's it's great to go home and watch and not only that when you're whiting fishing you can see how big the schools are you can learn from it so it's a tip that i like to do utilize your gopros get them underwater make sure you tie good knots don't use any silverware because barracuda really like it and uh, you'll, you'll save your you'll GoPro. lose it you'll yep. lose it so that's red's tip utilize your gopros and you'll be able to find what the structure is on the bottom that was Red's tip. Don't miss Anaconda's Adventure HQ Grand Opening Celebration. It's now time for the Flying Gaff, Patrick, and we're talking about dead bodies. We are. We're heading over to uh, to drought-stricken Lake Mead, which is near Las Vegas. Now, it is under significant uh, global pressure around uh, the drought, and they've seen the lowest uh, dam levels since the mid 70s, I think it is. It's really, really late. And what they're finding is all these different remains of bodies, a World War II tanks being found, stacks of boats, uh, as the reservoir continues to dry up. So it's essentially, it's become this graveyard. And this is, um, you know, Vegas is 50 k's away. So quite clearly, there's been a few murders that have happened, Redmond. I think a lot of people have paid their debt in this dam. Like well, They have. <laughs> On May 1, a barrel containing human remains was found, and there's been three further bodies found. <laughs> so they're at four at the moment, and they believe that there'll be more found if the if the lake continues to dry up. So the gaff is heading over to Lake Mead. Uh, they need some serious help there around... Um, around the drought it's pretty concerning but what's more concerning the amount of dead bodies in there that wraps <laughs> us up Redmond I hope you've enjoyed this show there'll be plenty more real adventures and we'll see you on the water next week 
It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.